Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show, where we interview athletes, coaches, entertainers, artists, musicians, authors, and many more on both our podcast and YouTube channels. We discuss their upbringing, careers, and what they're doing today. We document the past so the future can remember. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share our programs. Got a guest you'd like to hear? Contact us and try and get them on the program. We have over 200 episodes recorded, so please enjoy. Stories can't be remembered unless they are told. Someone asked me one time how I get my guest ideas. It's easy. Those I've had memories of in my lifetime. In a weird sort of way, it brings closure to certain times in my life. A history major at Indiana State University, I feel it's my way of preserving history for future generations to remember. Welcome to the program. Nostalgia Live Show is proudly brought to you by the Hoosier Basketball Academy. Want to improve your game and be an elite athlete? Hoosier Basketball Academy, located in the heart of Hoosier Hysteria, provides an excellent opportunity for student-athletes to improve their basketball skills. Their goal at Hoosier Basketball Academy is to provide an opportunity for young athletes to reach their full potential and allow them to compete at the highest level. Using their training model, they believe a solid foundation of fundamentals and muscle memory training is critical for the development of elite basketball players. This can only be achieved if you are mentally tough, have a strong work ethic, and are willing to sacrifice countless hours needed to be the best you can be. The Hoosier Basketball Academy offers high-intensity basketball training focusing on small groups and individual attention needed to improve your game, as well as specialized training and drills done at game speed to push you to your limits and improve overall physical conditioning. One of HBA's goals is to improve the skills and abilities of each player trained by focusing on ball handling, proper shooting mechanics, speed, agility, and footwork allowing you to take your game to the next level. This training is for players that are serious about improving their skills. Hard work pays off and gives you the competitive edge in practice that carries over to games against your biggest rivals. In addition to offering training, HBA fields highly competitive travel teams with many teams qualifying for nationals each year. Visit HBAElite.com for more info. Be elite and train to be the best. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Member Show. I'm your host, Billy Powell. Today with me is Dave Small, who was a member of the 1963 Ireland Spuds, and is just f- fantastic with the stories in the book, which is called One Small Town, One Crazy Coach by Mike. And am I pronouncing this right? Mike Ruse? Mike Rose. It's pronounced Rose. Rose. Um, uh, Mr. Small, thank you so much for spending some time with us and help keeping the stage alive. I know, I know you have a busy golf schedule in Florida. And, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> and, and we appreciate your time, uh, and the listeners will really uh, uh, enjoy this. Yes, uh, I, um, I I don't know where you want me to start, but uh, the the book that you're talking about, One Small Town, One Crazy Coach, is really a great piece that was done by Mike. Uh, and Mike was very, I guess, fortunate to be a place in his life and have the education that he had and experience to be able to see a story that was there and wanting to be, uh, to take the time to write it. And, uh, Having been a 12-year-old that at the time, uh, his dad was the principal at Ireland High School, and uh, he was 12 years old. So as a 12-year-old, it was a very impressionable time, and uh, it really stuck with him. And at our 40th anniversary in 2003, 
he decided that he wanted to tell the story. And uh, he, it was basically almost a 10-year labor of love. Uh, the book initially was that he wrote. He had submitted it to IU Press, and uh, they, didn't, uh, they didn't approve it. And so he just kind of let it sit for a couple years, and a colleague of his wanted to take a look at it and maybe give him some another direction and uh, another style. And so he did, and then he sat down and redid it and submitted it, and IU Press loved it. And uh, he just did a fantastic job writing the book. You know, I, I really enjoy how... You know, uh, there's Milan, and then there's the Ireland Spuds, and and you can compare them, but then you can't compare them. Well, it, it for us in a small town, a small school, uh, winning a sectional is almost as like winning a state championship. Exactly. And, and winning a regional is just like unbelievable. <laughs> you know, it's it's over the top. And uh, I mean, to be considered in the top sixteen, you know, Sweet Sixteen. Coming from a school of 130, 40 people, uh, it's just like I said, it's over the top. It's hard to it's hard to phantom that. And, and you know, if you go by timetable, you guys were one of the ten best teams in the state for about ten minutes. Yes, <laughs> by timeline. Yes, you're right. <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, but you know, it, it was um, it was a we were prepared uh, through all that. That's the thing. I wanted to tell the fans and tell tell you is that I wouldn't be talking to you today if it weren't for some key people in, in my life. And those key people, number one, my dad, and number two, Dem Sipenagel. I think he's in the Indiana Hall of Fame. Dem was my coach from seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, grade. So he had a lot, he he had a lot to do with my development. And then Jim Rose, the principal, Mike's dad, uh, just. Uh, he came in my junior year, and he was the kind of—he was the next coach. Uh, he had coached, uh, actually, he had coached Gary Grider, and he had coached uh, Sam Alford over at Washington before he came to Ireland. So, those guys, and then naturally Pete Gill, um, all of those guys had an influence on me. And uh, I had to tell you a story. I know Dan Stephanogel was a great guy, great coach, but when I was in the eighth grade. I lived down the country, lived on about a 600-acre farm, seven miles from Ireland. And I love baseball. Baseball is really my game. And uh, he found out that, you know, that I was throwing baseballs up against the barn. And I was going through baseballs and knocking the covers off of them, and I didn't have very many. And one summer, my I guess going into my ninth grade year, he shows up out there in the country one Saturday and uh, ends up bringing me two dozen rubber-coated baseballs and a home plate. And uh, so I was like unbelievable. I was like, I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy store with two dozen baseballs. And so he wanted me to put that plate up on the on the side of the barn and throw at it. And I wouldn't have to worry about the covers coming off of the baseball. So he helped me in my game of both ways, baseball and basketball. And uh, so then uh, when Jim Rose came, Demp was still the coach. And uh, Demp didn't have the discipline that Pete Gill did. And, of course, we didn't know Pete Gill when we were junior in high school, so we didn't know there was such a thing as Pete Gill. Uh, And uh, so what happened is when Pete Gill came, he came in like June. I think Jim Rose hired him in June of that year. And he came in there, and I didn't, I had never met Coach Gill. Didn't meet him until the first day of school. But I had heard what he was saying around town about what he was going to do. And I'm thinking to myself, is this guy crazy? <laughs> I mean, we, we just lost the best talent that the school has ever had. And my sophomore and junior year was the best talent that Ireland High School ever had in the history of, of the school. And we don't have anything. And I'm thinking, he doesn't know. He doesn't have a clue. And he was just, you know, I thought running his mouth. Well, the thing is, I didn't know the passion that he had for the game of basketball and the desire to 
to win and the desire to do it under any conditions. And uh, when I met the man, I, <laughs> I, I had uh, pretty much said, well, I wasn't too far off. He is crazy because uh, some of the, some of the things that we did were just uh, just off the chart, and uh, I didn't get any sympathy, and no, none of the guys got any sympathy at home. Our, all of our parents were taught us to be, you know, yes sir, yes ma'am, respect your elders, respect your teachers, that kind of thing. Do what they say. As far as they were concerned, the teachers were always right. So you didn't get any slack from home. So when Coach Gill started his unbelievable conditioning my dad says to me after about a week how's practice going and this was in the fall and we were playing fall baseball and I said he says how's practice going I said dad we haven't even seen a baseball he said what do you mean I said we haven't even seen a baseball this week we line up on one foul line and he hits the ball to the other foul line, and we have to sprint over and get it and then throw it into him, and then we all get over there, and then we all have to go back the other way. And, and I said, That's, I've never played baseball like that. <laughs> and so Dad said, and, and it's one thing that my dad said, he said, um, you listen to him, he'll make a man out of you. That was his exact words. And I said, yes, if he don't kill me first, you know. So what he did, he knew what he the method he had, he knew what he wanted to do. And basically what he did, he broke us down. He broke us down mentally and he broke us down physically. And then he built us back up. He built us with, with the type of attitude that he wanted. And we were the kind of people, the kind of kids, that uh, kind of guys that we were going to do what he said. And uh, we loved to play the game of basketball. We knew what it was leading to. So we wanted to play the game of basketball, but we didn't know we were going to survive it. But uh, he uh, knew what he knew what he was doing, and, and he knew the game better than any guy that I've ever come across, uh, as far as the game of basketball and how to how to how to play the game. But uh, Pete Gill was one of a kind. He was uh, he loved he loved the uh, limelight. He was a, basically he liked to be an entertainer. Entertainer. He uh, he grew up around uh, well in New Albany. And he was in the Louisville area, and he used to play as teenagers, play nightclubs and stuff. And uh, so he loved the uh, the entertainment aspect. So he could put on a show, whether it be music or whether it be basketball or coaching. He could put on a show. Now that's that's where one of the similarities are between uh, Milan and uh, Ireland was that uh, you know you guys had a pretty popular coach. Uh, and then the next year they brought in somebody, uh, a new coach, and then but from what I understand, they didn't even uh, uh, check references on Coach Gill. Is that correct? That's pretty much true. I think uh, Jim Rose, being the kind of guy he is, he has this intuition, and he goes with his gut feeling. And I think what sold, I think what sold him on Coach Gill, Pete, was uh, he played for a really legendary coach, Gordon Rainey at New Albany. And I think that's right there kind of clinched it because uh, New Albany uh, back at that time had uh, had Joe Dean and, and, and Pete and Joe were really tight buddies. And uh, it, I think that was just basically clincher. And uh, he was kind of, I guess, kind of, I guess, blown away by Pete's enthusiasm with the interviews. And uh, so he <laughs> he went to the trustee, Levi Lonebach, and and said, uh, you know, I got this guy who, who just, uh, I can't get him out of my mind. And, and Levi says, well, he sounds like, uh, he sounds like quite a guy. And Jim says, yes. And he said, well, uh, he, he, he's not a bank robber or a killer. Let's hire him. <laughs> <laughs> so a little, little different than it is today. <laughs> Dave, what was your first recollection of Indiana high school basketball, or who introduced you to the game when you were a youngster? Well, Billy, I, uh, I, it's like a lot of Indiana guys. Uh, you know, you grow up, and that's all you see, and that's all you hear is basketball. And uh, from the time I was old enough to pick up a ball, I had a, either a basketball or baseball in my hand all the time. And I was very fortunate to have a, a dad that 
uh, allowed their kids to participate in sports, especially guys coming off the farm. Back in that time, in the 50s, um, you were, you know, sports by a lot of guys wasn't that important. And uh, if you're on the farm, you had to go home and work. Well, I was fortunate enough that my dad was a pretty good athlete, played baseball and basketball. So he wanted me to do that. And he found out at a young, when I was younger, very young, two, three, four years old, that I was going to be a lefty and uh, that I had a little bit of talent. So he would hire guys when I was four, five, six, seven years old. He would hire sometimes my cousins who were 10 years older than me in the summertime to work on the farm. And their, their number one priority was to play catch with me or shoot hoops with me. Okay. And I didn't know that till later in life. And, uh, one of the guys that was my cousin grew up with toe drink and, and, uh, Carmel and, and those guys over at Holland, his name was Bob Peach. And, and Bob was a, just a great athlete, a great baseball player. And, um, Dad would hire him because he was my cousin, hire him to come and work in the summer and just say, okay, your, your priority is every chance you get, you're going to play hoops or kiss with kids with Dave. So that at a young age, I got into it. And then I really just, as I grew older, uh, got influenced by watching other guys and watching the high school guy. We went to the games even when I was in elementary school. And so you got to see the players. We went to the sectional. Uh, regionals in Honeybird, and so I, at a young age, I was catching on to these guys and trying to emulate them. One of my one of my idols uh, that I tried to emulate was Mark Pruitt out of out of Springs Valley, and that's because I got to see him play quite a bit in '50. I think it was '58 when they made a run to uh, to the Final Four. Uh, watching him that year, he was just a, a great athlete, and then he played at at Evansville and got to see him there, but he was one of my idols and I tried to emulate him. It's funny that I was talking to Jerry Reynolds and he said that he was one of his idols. And I thought that was kind of ironic, but Marvin was a great, great player and a great player to emulate. And then the other one was a teammate of mine in 61, 60, 61, my sophomore year, uh, a guy by the name of Jack Steinhardt. And Jack was a senior when I was a sophomore, and he had work ethics that was unbelievable, and he always was working out, always practicing on his spare time. <laughs> and I, I would try to do some of the things he did, and uh, he, he jumped rope all the time. Uh, we called him Jumping Jack, and uh, but Jack went on. I think at that time, they had the North-South Indiana All-Stars, and he uh, he played on the Southern the South All Stars, and then he went to Ole Miss, and uh, he captained I think the Ole Miss team in '65, maybe '66. Uh, he captained the Ole Miss team, and uh, that uh, that's also where Dem Stephanovel went to school was at Ole Miss, and uh, so I guess they had the connection there. But Jack uh, was very influenced on my trying to emulate somebody. Who are some of your favorite baseball players, or what baseball team did you follow? Well, uh, that's you know, coming out of Southern Indiana, most of the people there are uh, St. Louis Cardinals that's or the Cincinnati Reds. The Cincinnati Reds, you know? there you go. Well, I was a Dodger fan, <laughs> and people say, "How in the world you become a Dodger fan?" <laughs> I said, "Well, it's like this: you're influenced by your parents." And my dad played with and against Gil Hodges. Oh wow! Who, who played with the Dodgers. And every time the Dodgers would come to St. Louis, uh, we would go to St. Louis and watch them play. And, of course, I was a big time. I knew all the starting lineups for the uh, Dodgers during the 50s and 60s. And the one player that I just copied, copied, copied was Sandy Koufax. I'm a, I'm a lefty. Naturally, he's a lefty. And he had a pitch. Now, I never could throw the velocity that Koufax had, but I learned how to throw all the other stuff that he had. And he had over the top, back in that day, we used to call it a drop. I don't know what they call it today. But he had an overhand curveball that just fell off the table. And um, 
I just mastered that. And, and I, I could do that on, on call. And, uh, it, but I just, uh, I pitched about every baseball game that Ireland high school played for four years from my ninth through senior year. I think we played 10 games in the fall and 10 in the spring. And I probably pitched 90% of them. And, uh, so it, that's a player that that I totally copy, just I, like a microscope copying. When you got to uh, Ireland, what, did you have? I mean, of course, you said you know. Did you have instant success success in athletics? Did you do cross country? Did you do football, or just do basketball and baseball? Well, here's the thing: uh, Ireland was so small that we didn't have football. And we didn't even have cross country or track. And all we had was baseball and basketball. And then when Pete Gill came uh, that year, Pete starts a cross country program. Well, it was nothing more than conditioning for basketball, basically. Uh, but you had to you had to run it. And of course, I hate long distance. I'll run sprints for you all day, but don't don't ask me to run five miles. I just don't want to do that, you know. Uh, so. Those were the two sports that were available. Now, like I said, Dem Stiffenau coached me my seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh grade, and um, I learned a lot of basketball. Learned a lot of basketball. He wasn't necessarily a conditioning type coach, but you you know you were in playing condition. But that's what separated us between my junior and my senior year uh, was conditioning. Uh, we, we could play a game on any given night and the other team would be dying and we could play three more games and not even blink. And that's what kind of condition. Uh, when somebody says they're in shape, uh, are they really in shape? Because there's a situation where you get to, you're in such a top shape that you feel like you could run through the wall. And that's where we were. And, and what he did what coach did was he took basically five guys. We had 10 on the, on the team. And during the tournament, I think he moved a couple of guys up to make 10 or 11 or 11 or 12, but we had basically 10 guys. He played basically five to six guys. I would say 90% of the time. So we had to be in shape because you didn't, you didn't have a chance to get a breather. And so that's why the conditioning and the unorthodox conditioning that he did uh, paid off. Uh, but uh, success, Arlen would be like a lot of small schools. They would go in cycles. You would have a group of kids that would come along that were good athletes uh, maybe every five or six years. And then it would be dry for three or four years. And then you'd have another group of kids. that It kind of was that cycle. But that group of kids that came along from about 59, 60 through about 65 was just a, the best athletes that ever come through the small school. And um, a lot of us could have played for anybody, you know, um, in, in the area. So it was Ireland had success. We were like, I believe my sophomore junior year, we would won like 21 or 22 games and, and lost one in the, in the sectional. Um, we, um, we played Jasper uh, who was, a rivalry in which we only played them if it was tournament time. Uh, but there was a hatred between Ireland and Jasper, which is four miles apart. <laughs> and um, if you were from Ireland, people from Jasper were just awful. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's just the way it was. And you, you picked this up as a kid already. And uh, so we played Jasper my our junior year. We, played, we beat Springs Valley. And uh, in the afternoon, in the semifinal game, and uh, Reynolds was on that ball club, and uh, he and his brother Jeff. And uh, anyway, we played Jasper in the final, and they had a good ball club. They had a guy by the name of Mick Stiffenagel who went on to play at Georgia Tech. Uh, but uh, we played them in the final. And that was a big game, and we got beat by, I believe, five points. And I had a cousin playing on the team in Ireland. <laughs> his name was Bill Small. He was a senior, and I was a junior. And He's a pretty good player, and uh, he's turned his ankle uh, in the afternoon game, so he was kind of limited that night. I think that might have been the difference between us uh, beating Jasper and not beating Jasper, but uh, Bill was a good player. He went ahead and played at Southern Illinois. And uh, But there were some good people, good players that we had, but 
like I said, when, when Coach Gill came there, uh, we didn't think, and I really personally didn't think, that we were going to win five games. <laughs> and, uh, and, and when we had a, what they call a soap and towel game, at the beginning of the season, before the regular season, and in order to get in, you had to bring either a bar of soap or a towel, and that was for the athletic department. <laughs> and uh, we had that game, and it was absolutely god awful. It, it was like, are you kidding me? We, we, I don't even know if we can win a game the, the way we looked. And uh, and then Coach had had alienated us to him. He worked us so hard that we actually hated him and uh and then he came out with these incentives to kind of give us a chance to make him pay the price and so the first game of the year uh we're playing down at Spurgeon which is about 35 miles down the road and uh he said I tell you what and they didn't have they they didn't have much the year before and he said if you guys win by 30 I'll hitchhike home and of course (laughs) And of course, we're like, you know, okay, uh, let's win, let's go bust our butt and win by thirty. So we're going to the game, riding to the game, and one of the one of my teammates says, "You know, he can control this, right?" And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, he can take us out of the game and not let us win by thirty or more." <laughs> I said, "Nah, you better not do that." You know, uh, well, we end up winning by thirty-one or thirty-two, and we we just watched him hitchhike home, and it, it was a uh, quite a that's quite a story in itself and then the next game we're playing holland and holland is got a good ball club and nobody in southern indiana thinks that we got a chance to beat holland and he's made a comment he says guys if you just win this game i'll walk home from the ireland gym to my house in jasper which is about five miles i'll walk home well we like okay guys let's do it man let's go and we went out and upset Holland, and we watched him walk home. <laughs> so, so he knew, uh, Billy. He knew what he was doing, uh, no question. He uh, he he had a he had a sight. And uh, by after about the third or fourth game, we started to buy into the program. And when we bought into the program, it was like look out because we are a group of guys that became like a precision watch. We knew every move, just like cogs in a watch. We knew every move and when to mesh and when not to mesh. It was, it was unbelievable because, uh, the run that we made, it still at the time didn't have much of an impact on a lot of people, including myself. Uh, we just kind of like, okay, we did it. We expected to do it. And, but now over the years, as you look back on it, you go, wow, that is totally ridiculous. And, uh, and I'll never forget what Joe Dean told coach in the locker room at Robert stadium in Evansville, cause he had Joe come in, uh, to our practices for the game against Evansville bossy and bossy was defending state champs. They didn't want to state in 62 and they had everybody back and they were loaded and and so he brought uh joe in to play the parts of different players on the bossy team and joe was about six four and um he walks in practice and he says to coach and they've, they've been friends since elementary school he said you got here with this <laughs> like, are you kidding me? You got a bunch of runs, man. <laughs> so, but after after working with us and seeing us play, uh, Joe just he he couldn't say enough about his buddy uh, Pete Gill because uh, Joe and I over the years stayed in touch. In the last few years of Joe's life, uh, we spoke probably once a month. And uh, he had made a comment one time on the phone with me. He said, uh, we were talking about Pete Gill, and, and uh, he says, you know, Dave, I've been around a lot of coaches, a lot of people in my life, but I'm, gonna hear, I'm here to tell you, I've never met anybody like Pete Gill. <laughs> and I said, well, there's not anybody 
like Pete Gill. He's one of a kind. And uh, it's too bad that uh, Coach didn't have a lot of other success in his career. He did have some success when he uh, went down to Kentucky later in, in Georgetown, Kentucky, and coached and had some success. But mainly he couldn't find the kids or the boys that would do what he wanted to do. Um, and we, like I said, we just were a bunch of country boys that, uh, a bunch of farm boys that didn't know how to say no. And we did what we were told. And, uh, that's why it turned out to where it did. What, at what point your senior year, do you kind of look at your whole squad and you're like, you know, we don't have a player over five ten. Did that, um, how did you guys, how did you guys prepare for a team that had a big man or a, you know, a, a pretty large starting lineup? Well, what we did, see, there's one thing that, that we had that um, most of the other teams didn't have, didn't have, and that was quickness, okay? We were quick. Um, and, and I'll say this uh, also. Uh, my friend, uh, teammate, and close friend, Joe Lentz, and I were the guards. And basically, I'm going to say this, and there a lot of people back at that time would probably agree, there was probably not any, there probably wasn't any two other guards in the whole southern Indiana, two guards that were any better than Joe and I. And we can handle the ball, we were quick, and we could shoot the ball. So I learned from that. I learned from that, Billy, that if you got two good guards, you can beat a lot of people. You know, and I learned that in my coaching days later is you give me two good guards and I'll give you a game uh, because they're the ones who are doing most of the handling, you know, and running the show. So uh, that's what we had. And so when we would get up against the big teams, uh, coach would decide whether or not we could, if they have one big guy, we would sometimes put a guy in back of him, a guy in front of him. And we were quick enough to cover everybody. Uh, if we were playing a team that was 6'4 across the front line, uh, we might slow it down and, and play a delayed game. And if we got the lead on you, it was over because we weren't turning the ball over. We, it, our ratio of turnovers was very small. And because we went through drills that uh, prepared us for that. And uh, so that's what we did. I and mean, people didn't know what we were going to do. Um, they didn't know if we were going to hold them all on them or run. And, uh, cause we, we could score 70, 80 points on you before you knew what happened. Uh, but likewise, if we didn't feel that we could control much of the boards, then we would shorten the game and uh, play a delay game. Uh, we did that against, um, against Springs Valley in the championship game in 63 at sectional. Uh, Jim Jones was, I think it might've been Jim Jones first year coaching. Um, they had this big boy, Lonnie Ziegler, about six, seven, six, eight. Uh, and, uh, he scored 37 points the afternoon game against Jasper. And we're like, you know, how are we going to stop this kid? And, uh, so coach was thinking about a boxing one and then he didn't, he doesn't like to play any song. He, he hates song. And so he decided we're going to put somebody in front, somebody in back. And uh, we held the ball. Now, Jim Jones was thinking, because I talked to Jim about it, uh, he was thinking that he couldn't, he thought we would run against him because he didn't think that he could run with us. He thought you could, we were too quick for them. Well, it kind of, we, he says we played into his hand because he thought we were going to run and then instead we held the ball. But anyway, that's how we did it. I think Ziegler ended up with five points that night. Of course, the score was only 20 to 19. <laughs> and, <laughs> but we, that's how we did it. And, and, and people, and, and here again the next week on Saturday afternoon in the regional semifinal, we're playing Sullivan. And uh, they're, they're good, but they don't have a, a big man. And I think their 6'4 was their tallest guy. Uh, they had a couple other good scores, but coach says we're going out guys and, and, and turning it loose. And we went out and scored 76 points that afternoon and, and, and beat them by 13. So people didn't know what we were doing. And then when we played the Washington hatchets, 
and Grider and that bunch, uh, we, uh, we, we decided that we were going to do a little bit of both. If we had the opportunity to run, we were going to run. And if we were not, we were going to slow it down. Well, that score was, I believe, 39-37 we won on the last second bunny shot that was just unbelievable, but it went in. And uh, uh, Pat Sheeter just happened to catch it on the chest and throw it sky high, and it came right down through the basket as the, as the buzzer went off. And Grider uh, says he'll never forget it. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I think he mentioned that when I talked to him. Yeah, Gary's a great guy. We we've become friends uh, over the years, and uh, all well, Gary and Junior G and I uh, played baseball together at, at Jasper American Legion, and uh, we had and along along with Mick Stephanovel and a guy from Huntingburg named John Geese. So we had a really really good baseball team, and uh, but those guys uh, played as well, and it's it's kind of it's kind of funny how things work out. You know, here Junior was everything at Lagoti. I mean, he just a great guy and a great player. And uh, I, everybody had figured that Lagoti is going to go right through the regional. Well, then Washington upsets them in the finals of the sectional. And then Washington comes over uh, thinking that Vincennes is going to be the team to beat. And they upset Vincennes. And then we come in and play Washington and we upset Washington here. So I'm thinking, you know, here's a team that least expected thought that Lagoti would walk through it. Didn't. And then here's little old Ireland that comes through. And, and I'm, my hat is off to coach Gill because without him, it, it wouldn't have happened. You know, bringing up uh, um, Gary Greider and junior G, can you go ahead and tell us about the, uh, you know, um, uh, you, I, I think you're um, golf partners with Junior, and and tell us about how we found the letter and how we got uh, Junior G and Gary Greider to uh, into a friendship. Well, how it all came about was uh, I was friends with both of them, and I didn't realize I didn't realize until oh, I don't know, a year or two, maybe two or three years ago, that they had never really spoken to one another. And I'm talking to Grider one day, and he's telling me, you know, I, I he says I don't I don't know uh, Junior at all that well, and I, I never talked to him. Or I said, What do you mean you never talked to him? He said, We've never talked. And uh, he said, I, I don't know if he likes me. I don't think he likes me. And uh, and I said, Well, why in the world wouldn't he like you? He said, I don't know. So then I would talk. I would talk to Junior, and, I, and over the years, and, and I didn't know about Ian Grider really. And so, this past year, uh, we decided to have a softball, or not a softball, but a baseball reunion at Jasper American Legion. And we've been talking about it for years, and never done it. Well, it's been like 50, 52, 53 years, and some of us even haven't even seen one another. So I started contacting everybody and see if they were interested and everybody was just happy to, to uh, that we were going to have it. Well, I started talking to junior and I told the guys to go through any old, to look for any old pictures or articles or anything to bring to the reunion. And, um, so I'm talking to junior and he goes, um, Dave, I found this letter. And I said, what letter? He said, a letter that Gary's mother wrote to me back in 1963. And I said, really? Now, I knew about the letter, so I played dumb. <laughs> and, you know, and because so, Gary had told me that he was kind of perplexed about it because he never got any response on that letter. And so Junior's telling me about finding this letter in a shoebox. And he says, I decided to go through the shoebox. I had a, a lot of recruiting letters that um, I got back in the day, and I thought I would keep them in a box in case my family wanted to see them or whatever. And I found this letter. And he said, I read this letter, and I just, I just cried. And I said, wow. And I said, uh, he said, I'm going to bring this letter to the reunion. And, and I said, uh, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything to Gary about it. He said, "Good. I want I want to be the one to to talk about that letter." So, I told both of them. I said, "Look, 
you you guys and I are friends. Each of you are friends of mine. Now, why in the world wouldn't you like one another? Okay. Well, they didn't have an answer for that. <laughs> no, you're right. Why wouldn't we like one another? So when this thing comes together, we had a golf outing, a scramble. And I told him, I said, you guys are in, in my foursome. You two are riding together. Okay. And <laughs> I put them together. And uh, they uh, started talking, actually had to talk, and they started talking. And then the next evening we had a dinner, and Junior brought that letter out and read it in front of the whole team. And uh, he, he, he cried again because uh, he, he just couldn't believe that he had not responded to that letter, either didn't see it or totally put it away. And uh, and, and so they now become friends. And that's a great, it's a great story uh, about two guys that, of, of they're, they're just class guys and, and they're, great, they're very good friends, but not to talk, talk to one another for 50 some years. It's just kind of sad in a way. Oh, no, I agree. It's just a fantastic story. Let's go back a little bit. What was the atmosphere like at your, your gym? How many people did it hold? Was it hard to get a ticket? Oh, it, 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 that was amazing. Uh, they built, now we had a, a school that had anywhere from the time I was in school in the four high school grades, they had anywhere from 110 to 140 kids in four grades. Okay. Now, in the schoolhouse was built in 1915, little little boxy square like they did back in the day. But in 1951, they built a gym, new gymnasium, and it held to capacity about 2,500, okay? Now, there's only 100, and like I said, 130 in school, and the town was only 500 people in the town. <laughs> now, we would pack that gym. Now, where they come from? They come out of the country, okay, hmm. out of all on, 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 out of the countryside. Uh, but you, it was hard, especially if you're playing Holland or Dubois or Otwell, uh, uh, those kind of places. Uh, you you couldn't you couldn't even get in. Uh, uh, the atmosphere around there was the town backed you one hundred percent. Uh, you would go play uh, down, at, uh, you know, down the road somewhere, 20, 30, 40 miles, and they would have caravans that would follow you and uh, uh, decorate their cars, paint them up, put green and white, our colors are green and white, put it on the car, the antenna, all this. And, uh, and they, uh, <laughs> they, they just were crazy. It was, it was literally Hoosier stereo at, at its finest. And, uh, we packed, I think one night we played ranks Wednesday high school at home there and they were ranked, I don't know, they were ranked two or three in the, in the state. They had, uh, Tom Niemeyer and Bob Greasy and, and, uh, oh guys, Jerry Mattingly and just a great ball club. And, uh, and you couldn't get another person in there in, in, in that gym. So the atmosphere was just unbelievable. Now, the, the spuds, where, where did spuds come from? Well, I guess people, I, and I really can't even answer that, uh, Billy. Uh, I guess the Irish potato, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you can imagine all the adjectives that were put with that. Uh, you know, let's, ma let's mash the spuds or let's make French fries or whatever. <laughs> Uh, when you would go to opponents, uh, uh, gym or, or they came to your gym, it was, uh, it, it was kind of actually kind of comical, really. You, you but, know, uh, you, you know, with all the pushing and, uh, and the stuff that coach Gill did at the beginning, was there ever one point that you were really close to quitting? Oh, no, uh, no question. The first few weeks, the first few weeks, I, I and, I mentioned that to him, and, and the reason I didn't was my dad. My dad wouldn't have even hear of it. He said, you start something, you finish it, no matter what, okay? And, uh, and he said, and, and we don't have quitters. So he could have made us walk through fire, and I'd have been there, you know? But, yes, it, under a, some, a lot of circumstances, I would have just said, no, I'm not going through this. Now, there's one guy who did walk off, and that was Pat Sheeter. And and Pat just, in the first three or four days of that, those workouts, he walked off. And he was just a sophomore, but 
he became later, he came back through hell. He walked through hell to get back. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how he did it. I couldn't have done it. I, I couldn't have done what he did. I actually witnessed it, and I would, could not have done what he did. He just made that boy literally go through hell to get back. And uh, and it's funny how how things happen. He's the one who scored the winning basket to win the regional. So, you know, go figure. <laughs> Coach, where did you where did you end up going to college? Did you uh, did you get any scholarships offered for basketball or for baseball? Yeah, I had I had all kind of scholarship offers, uh, baseball, basketball, all I don't know, thirty forty of them. And, and I, New Mexico State was after me pretty hard, and um, a lot of the schools, a lot of them, wanted me to play basketball, and I wanted to play basketball, baseball. Oh, Austin P said, you come down here and you can play both. And uh, so I went to Austin P to play basketball, baseball there. They were, we were in the Ohio Valley Conference uh, at that time with Western Kentucky and Moorhead and Murray State and Eastern Kentucky and I think Tennessee Tech and East Tennessee State, Middle Tennessee State, Austin P. There were eight teams in the OVC. It was a great league. Uh, in basketball, that's when Western Kentucky was dominant with Clem Haskins and that bunch that made a good run in the NCAA back in the mid '60s. And uh, it was a fun time, uh, a, a great time. I uh, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it for the world. In 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 what at what period of time or your thought process did you decide that you wanted to coach? Well. I guess it was probably my sophomore year in college. I, you know, I had gotten so much from my coaches uh, growing up, Jim uh, Stephanago and uh, Pete Gill and Jim Rose. Uh, these guys, and, and, and guys that coached me in American Legion, West Settle from Jasper. Uh, these guys were just great guys, and, and they, I thought, you know, I I want to do that. I I want to do that. I want to work with kids, and uh, and that's when I started concentrating on on becoming a coach. And I uh, I I my wife my wife and I grew up together. She lived in town in Ireland, and her dad was the barber in town. Uh, and um, so we ended up. She ended up going to Evansville her first year of college, and. Her mom and dad, that's how I ended up in Tampa, Florida. Her mom and dad moved to Temple Terrace, Florida, which is a suburb of Tampa right next to Bush Gardens. And um, so she transferred to Austin P. So when we graduated from Austin P. We spent a year in Clarksville there, and I we were both teaching in school. And uh, we would come down to, to Tampa to visit her parents, and uh, we came down here one Christmas, and uh, it was 80 degrees, and I was playing golf, and... <laughs> You know, I said, man, this is absolutely fantastic. And so we had to go back to school starting January. And so we went back and our, our principal called and said, you just want to stay a couple more days. It snowed in Clarksville, so we're not going to have school. So we did. We spent a couple extra days. And then we uh, we decided we better get back. So we went back. The night we got back, it snowed 13 inches of snow. And it got cold for two weeks. And we didn't have school up there for two weeks. And I said, this is it. This is it. I'm going to Tampa, Florida when the end of the school year. And that's what we did. And it so happened that everything worked out. Uh, a recruiter was on campus from Hillsborough County uh, recruiting teachers. And, and I went over and interviewed and had a job before the day was over with. And I came to Tampa and started coaching and teaching. And my wife did too. And we've been here 40, almost 48 years. Cool. Um, but, uh, Coached a couple high schools here in Tampa and uh, basketball, uh, JV football, and uh, never, you know, had, had some good athletes, uh, some really great athletes. One of my, one of my most famous students I had wasn't even a, an athlete. Uh, he, he played in a band, but he became worldwide known. Everybody knows Hulk Hogan. Oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> Seriously? Uh, yeah, yeah, he uh, he went to Robinson High School here. Uh, never played football. Football, he had football coach Tom Mann was always after him to play football, and he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to play in his band. So, uh, but then uh, later, a few years later, after high school, he got turned on to professional wrestling, and of course, the rest is history. But 
Um, yeah, ho- the Hulkster. <laughs> but but I did have I did have a couple players at, at football that played a couple years in the NFL. So there's some great athletes in Florida. Don't let anybody kid you. Uh, there's some great athletes. The basketball in Florida is nothing uh, it, as far as the enthusiasm. There's great players, but nobody comes to the game. Uh, and that's, that's different. I sacrificed that to come to Florida. Uh, I could sacrifice the atmosphere of Indiana basketball and I gave, they gave that up for the sunshine, I guess. <laughs> what, 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 how do you feel about the state of Indiana high school basketball today? And do you think they did it a big disfavor and will it ever be like it was? It'll never be like it was, uh, Billy. Um, you know, the guys I know, some of the guys you've interviewed, we, we all came through that, that era there where I think Dale Harris summed it up pretty good when he said it was the era of gold, the golden, the golden era of Indiana basketball. Um, it, it was a time like no other time, probably between the mid forties to early seventies when everybody still had a high school. And uh, I know when I went to high school, there were 712 high schools. Well, now there's probably half that, you know, uh, because of consolidation. So the first thing that happened, they took away all the identity of the, of the small town high school when they consolidated it. And then the killer was in the late 90s there when they did took away the no class and went to classes. And that took away the, the intense rivalry between close communities that used to happen and it doesn't happen anymore sometimes you've got to drive a little ways to find another school in your class so it's hard to develop that community rivalry and, and the craziness so it's not it's still good basketball in that respect in, in respect of the game is still good basketball don't get me wrong but uh the enthusiasm of the crowd the people uh, it was just a way of life then, and I don't think it's I don't think it's still like that. One small town, one crazy coach. Has there ever been any talk about? I mean, in my reading, it it would be a fabulous movie. Well, here, here, yes, there is. Now that you mentioned that, actually, uh, actually, Dell Harris brought it up first. He said, "You know, this this is a better story than than the Milan story." Mm-hmm. You know, and he said that one reason is it's all true. Uh, you know, he said that the, the Milan, the Hoosier movie was based, based on a true story. But the fact is that all that didn't happen at Milan, you know, uh, it may have happened at other places, but it didn't happen at Milan. Whereas one small town, one crazy coach actually is all true. And there has been, um, there has been an effort to look for screenwriters on it. Uh, as well. And uh, there was one guy, I don't know out of, he might even been out of Houston or something. I'm not sure who supposedly was a screenwriter and he was going to LA or California somewhere out there. And uh, I I don't know what the latest is. I haven't talked to Mike about that lately, but yes, there has been talk about it. And you're right. It would make a great movie. Uh, We didn't win a state championship, but in the small schools, it was bigger than his state championship. Right, exactly. You know, but, uh, but it, it, it's a, it's a great, it's a great story. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what it's done, uh, for me and a lot of my teammates. Um, it has caused us to reconnect with a lot of people who we've had, our paths had crossed. Okay. Uh, guys have read that book and they've contacted me. Oh man, that's a great read. You remember, remember when we did this, this, and these guys I either played against or coached against or, or whatever. Uh, and, and that's, that right there is worth it right there. The reconnection of, of, uh, of people that you've crossed previously. And, uh, I, I all the time get comments, uh, about it. It actually, uh, brought out a couple of individuals. Uh, that I would never have met uh, in relation to the book. Um, a guy called me, uh, his name was Walt Poff, and Walt lives in Tampa here. Well, Walt was Pete Gill's teammate at New Albany. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, and played for Coach Rainey. And, and Walt's brother, Paul, played at Indiana and is in the Hall of Fame. Okay, Indiana Hall of Fame, uh, uh, Paul Poff. And another phone call I got was from the daughter of Gordon Rainey. Okay, she was 12 years old when Pete and Joe Dean and these guys were in high school. And she said, when we would go to away games, uh, Coach Rainey would let me sit, my dad would let me sit on their laps. And he said, I would sit on Coach Gill or Pete Gill's lap, Joe Dean's lap, and Paul Paw's lap. And she said she got this book and she went crazy. <laughs> it brought back a lot of memories for her. So there's that kind of thing with the book. Uh, just meant a lot to me of, of people uh, that uh, we cross paths at some point or, or cross paths with somebody. Is, is everybody still with us or have we lost a couple of the teammates? I lost my best friend, one of my best friends, uh, Red Kaish. Uh, Red Kaish passed about three years ago. Um, he was a starting, starting player. Uh, Red, I'm going to say this about Red. There's no finer, was no finer individual than Red Price, but Red was the best rebounder that I had ever played with uh, at 510. Because you said, "What did we do against taller people?" <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how Red did it. Uh, I know he had a few little tricks up his sleeve where he he would he would. We knew how to block out. We ran so many block out drills; it was crazy. But he knew how to block out. But when he block out, he put one foot on top of your foot if he was blocking you out. Well, when you do that, you can't move, you know? And, and I don't care if you're six foot five, you're not going to be able to jump. And, uh, he would do things like that, but red was the best rebounder at five ten. And, uh, but he's deceased. Uh, coach Gill passed about two, two years, two and a half years ago. And, uh, coach Allen, assistant Roy Allen, uh, he passed, um, but those are the three on the team that, that aren't with us anymore. But uh, Jim Rose is amazing. He's, uh, he was a principal and did the, the uh, hiring and all that. And uh, Jim's still living. He's like 85 or 86 and in great shape. Lives in Santa Claus, Indiana. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we get together once a year and, uh, and just to make sure everybody's still alive. <laughs> Can you can you tell us a story about uh, you were in a local museum up there in Indiana and you saw a floorboard with uh, you know one of the players you said were deceased and you decided uh, you would like to autograph that floorboard right next to him? Well, the Du Bois County Museum is, is I'm telling you if you haven't been there you need to stop there sometime if you're in Jasper, Indiana. It is a great museum for the size town. It's it's pretty impressive, uh, but they have a huge. Uh, sports division there and of course there's some great you know the great athletes that came out of Du Bois County over the years and um in baseball like Scott Rowland came out of there and guys like that and it's a it was a big deal of course basketball being what it was or what it is important it's a big section well there was this part of the gym floor and it came out of the Honeyberg Memorial Gym and uh, when they replaced it in back in, in the late 80s, they replaced it with a new floor. And it had been in there since 52 when the gym opened. And uh, it was there, and it had about, I don't know, a dozen signatures on there. And I saw I saw Red Kaiser's name on there, signed it. And I thought, gosh, that's absolutely great. I said, I'd like to put mine, I'd like to sign my name right under his or right next to his because we were buddies since... I guess we were old enough. To, his dad was a farmer, and my dad was a farmer, so they knew each other. So we known each other for our whole life. And I said, I'd like to put my name next to his. So um, I had to find the guy who uh, was in charge, and he said, uh, when are you leaving? I said, well, I'm leaving back to Florida in the morning. He said, well, next time you're in uh, Jasper, be back home, call me, and we'll go over there, and uh, we'll let you do that. So uh, we did that. I think it was the next spring we did that, and uh, it was pretty awesome because you know uh, he, uh, Red was just a great guy. And I said, you know, that's there for posterity. You know, uh, anybody comes through there 50 years from now, we'll see that. And uh, if they know anything about Red and I, they'll know we were buddies. But that was pretty special. 
the name of the book is One Small Town, One Crazy Coach, the Ireland Spuds in the 1963 Indiana High School Basketball Season. I got my copy off of Amazon. I see that uh, where you guys have a Facebook page also. Is, uh, is there anything else that anybody can do with help with uh, uh, keeping that alive? Or is, is there any other works in the process? Or Well, uh, Billy, I, I, you can also get the book at Barnes & Noble anywhere in the country at Barnes & Noble. Um, but um, anybody that that uh, has any kind of, um, of input or contact or whatever in maybe uh, getting this in front of the right people to make a movie out of it uh, would be greatly appreciated. I don't know. Uh, I haven't talked to Mike in a couple of weeks, Mike Rose. Uh, Mike just retired as a professor of English over at University of Cincinnati. And so he's got a little time. Matter of fact, he's, wanting to write another book. Um, I don't know if he's going to write a sequel to this or what, but he is going to write another book. And uh, But, yeah, if anybody has any input uh, on uh, ways to uh, maybe help get this to the right people, uh, I just think it's one of the best written stories um, that's been out there in a long time. Uh, and it's a thing like Dale Harris said, it's true. It's, it all is true. So, um, I anything anybody can do is is uh, definitely greatly appreciated. Was was um, coach? How tall was Coach Gill? Coach is about five foot nine. Oh, good. So he I could pl- I could I could play the uh, role of Coach Gill. I'm about five foot go. nine. There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. I know. I know. Dell one time said that uh, he thought he thought Woody Harrelson would make a good Pete Gill, and I said, "Well, Woody's a little older though <laughs> than what than what Pete was." But I said, "Kind of in that mold, though." I said, "Woody is is kind of that." Well, uh, Billy, I'm going to share something with you here. It's, uh, I know we're wrap, about to wrap this up, okay. but I w- I want to share this with you. There's a couple things that. Uh, that happened in my life that were special to me, and it come, you know, it made me feel like a kid in a candy shop. Back in the late '80s, I think it was '87, I had the privilege to be in the locker room with the Boston Celtics, uh, and that was the year, uh, the year before they were the world champs. And I happened to be in Atlanta at the Omni when they were playing the Hawks, and. Bird got me in the locker room with a buddy of mine after the game, and I was in there with you know Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, and all these guys, Jerry Seastein and and uh, Danny Ainge and all these guys, and that, you know that that was just unbelievable, and 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 I attribute that to uh, naturally Indiana high school basketball because uh, uh, Jim Jones was uh, influential in in getting me in there, and and Larry. Uh, found out about it and said, yeah, come on in, come on in. So it, it was just absolutely great. And then the other one hasn't happened yet, but it's getting ready to happen in November. Uh, the coach, the head coach at Austin P, this guy by the name of Dave Luce, and his first assistant, and I've known Dave for about 26 years, 27 years, and he was, has been there at Austin P. He's kind of, He's the dean of coaches in the OVC. He's got more wins than anybody that's ever coached in the OVC. But anyway, uh, he's got an assistant, first assistant, one of my best friends, Jay Bowen. Well, Austin P opens this year, and they're participating in that Maui Classic. And um, um, on Friday night, November the 13th, they open with Vanderbilt and Vandy. And on Monday night, November the 16th, they go to Bloomington uh, to play Indiana at Assembly Hall. Well, I'm going to be on the bench with Austin P and the coaches oh, when they man. play Indiana. Oh my gosh! So, <laughs> so that that wait, is wait, like a, I, I still haven't picked my head up off the floor of you going into the locker room with Larry Bird, but now you're going <laughs> now you're going into uh, uh, Assembly Hall. Oh my gosh! Uh, that's like a bucket list to me. Uh, and I'll tell you why that's like a bucket list. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I almost not every Saturday, but most every home game at IU was playing in the late fifties and early sixties. I would go to the games. We were at Jasper about 65 miles away. And, uh, I would go to the games on Saturday, watch the big 10 play. And of course I knew all the guys that played at Indiana and, um, I mean, I, I knew who they were. And uh, 
so I would go. So they played in the old field house. Well, in 71, I was coaching here at Tampa Bay Tech High School, and they built Assembly Hall and opened, opened it up. And I, and I made a comment to one of my coaching buddies. I said, you know, one day I'd like to coach a game at IU at Assembly Hall. <laughs> and so this, this that's happening November the 16th is, uh, is like I said, it's like a, a bucket list for me. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, coach- but, that, but that's what, that's what basketball and especially guys that come from Indiana and I've learned this over the years and everybody I believe that's been out of Indiana and other areas of the country. Uh, we all grew up knowing what it was like. We experienced it. We knew what it was like in Indiana with basketball and how important it was to people. And then when you go away from Indiana to other areas of the country, well, they don't get it. Okay. You can tell the, you can tell, so you blew in the face about how it is, and, but they don't get it. But when you talk to somebody who grew up in Indiana, that's all you got to say. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Indiana, and they know what you're talking about. They you sure know, and, and that's the that's the thing about it. And and uh, I just I feel very fortunate that that uh, I've been able to stay in contact with a lot of people. But I said this many times: the basketball world out of Indiana is like a big fraternity. Okay. And being a part of it to me is just one of the biggest honors that, that, that I could have. It's just being a part of that, you know? So anyway, um, that's my story. Well, I mean, fantastic. I, I, I really, we really appreciate you being on the program. Um, a fabulous book. Uh, and, um, uh, I thank you so much for spending time with us on Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. Okay. 